0: The subject of the evening talk is the communication of friendship. As we see ourselves move through our life, we become aware of the friends that we have had contact with in the past. And we see that from our early childhood and and through the the years of our life, our life has moved through a situation of a variety of, of contact with with different people. And we experience various degrees of contact with people, of course. And some of those contacts have been very important for us, perhaps more important than we realize. Some of the contacts have had great depth to them, a, a closeness, and an intimacy, a, a, an experience of times shared together. And sometimes our life, or that person's life, or those others' lives have moved away from our own. And so we find ourselves moving through life, sustaining some friendships over many, many years and through many experiences. And sometimes the friendships themselves Dissipating, parting, and so that people that we knew that we that we felt so close to we, we haven't seen or, or heard of for, for years and it's a similar experience for many of us as as we move through life, and sometimes and it occurs sometimes in in retreats that we have the me- our memories arise, and we remember particular people that we haven't perhaps thought about for years and they come very clear to us and we remember that time of that, that contact, that exchange of affection and and warmth. And those people have come and gone and we've moved into new times. And I remember on one one retreat, one of the, the meditators had a very strong memory, he was in his thirties, of his of a school teacher when he was a very small child of seven or eight years of age, and, and she g- arose in his meditation very, very strongly, and he remembered what a, a positive and beneficial influence she was in his life, and he as a young boy was going through a very difficult period at, at that time, and the teacher always lent a, a sympathetic ear, and, and it came up very, very strong for him through the course of his meditation. And during the retreat, he made something which is quite unusual. He made the resolve to go and find this person, this old school teacher, and thank her. And all he knew, of course, was the school and the area, and this was something some 30, nearly 30 years ago. And he went, and he went back to that school, and he made inquiries at the local government, and he got hold of her name, and he got hold of her address. And uh, a year later he came on a retreat to tell me that having gone to this town and where he was brought up and he found the teacher, now retired, and he just said, I've just come to thank you. <laughs> and the extraordinary thing was that he'd only been speaking to her for a few minutes and she says, I know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> and, he could re- and she too could remember him and remember that contact through all those years and all those countless number of young children, she remembered this unruly young boy in the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes our heart and our connection with, our, with friends and, pe- and people of uh, bygone years have meant and continue in often unconscious ways, shall we say, continue to meet mean a great deal for us. And there is obviously a major qualitative difference between an acquaintance and friendship. An acquaintance is someone that we have obviously a certain passing contact with. And we meet through work, through travel, through different situations, a variety of people, and we make their acquaintance. And that acquaintance is so often noticeable in that the... The degree and the level of the communication <coughs> itself tends to remain within a certain framework. It may be through the work or, or through the travel or or through a, a passing meeting and sometimes it doesn't seem to get beyond that it doesn't go to an another level <coughs> and sometimes one sees too that, that in one's contact with with people the view, the views and Feelings and perceptions that one have, has may be quite different from that friend. And it's not unusual at all, even when there's a very close friendship, and a long-standing friendship, that the v- differences of views become so consolidated in the mind, two people cannot meet with each other, cannot communicate, sometimes cannot even talk to each other because the views and the identification with the views produces such strong beliefs that the judgmental mind comes in. And so in our looking at ourselves and, uh, and our relationship with our friends and relationships with people in life, there's a whole Field of inquiry for us, whole field to look at with our with care and with interest. What makes an acquaintance? What makes the friendship? What makes the depth of friendship? How can that come about? How can that manifest in in real terms in our life? And they did. Re- There's recently one of these. Um, polls, I'm um, probably like yourself, I'm very suspicious of these polls and and they keep coming up with new tidbits bits of informa- information and then another poll refutes it and provides something else. And one they came up with here in the States a few months ago was with regard to people and their friends. And so they asked in you know, how many friends do you have? And they ask the whole spectrum of different people. You know, somebody gets hold of the telephone and rings up somebody. How many friends have you got? No. <laughs> <wrong>. <laughs> <laughs> and then they write it down. And they come up with a percentage. And and one, one and so th- so they r- they rang around and made several hundred or a thousand phone calls to for a, a, a certain sample. And the, the per- it worked out that the average person had about um, eight or nine people who they referred to as um, acquaintances, somebody that they knew that they could actually ring up. But actual friends, close friends, it was between one and two. Outside of the household situation the number of people they could say was a close friend is one or two people. You know, in a world in which there are so many human beings and so many mutual needs that we have, if the average person has such little quality of contact with others, it surely shows uh, the degree of separation and pain in our society. And it's no wonder that people are so closed down, do find it so difficult to open up. So in this whole area of of, of communication and and warmth and and the extension of of fri- friendship in in life one of the patterns which often shows in ourselves is and this is where the social conditioning and the various inhibitions can uh, generate themselves we often find ourselves in the situation of waiting for the other to be initially at least more forthcoming there's a kind of often a reticence within within communication which says, well, I don't want to say anything, you know, perhaps he or she should speak first and then perhaps we can talk then. And when both people are thinking exactly the same thing as they sit next to each other on a bus or they're waiting in the queue, it's not exactly stimulating conversation. (laughs) So in, in our awareness and in our connection with, with life and with, with other people, there needs to be within that connection and communication someone who says it's worthwhile to initiate, to create the spark, to, to, to make the catalyst for a communication together. and as communication develops between people and as friendship de- develops there is still all too often within within communication and within friendship a difficulty of being able to say what one observes say what one sees with regard to another and and one f- sometimes forgets that when there is a quality of friendship a certain depth of it one of the marks of that depth is that there is an underlying trust and friendship, friendship itself has that as as one might say the baseline in communication that there is trust there and with within trust which is almost a two-way Channel between two people, much can go in a very real way back and forth. Once that is there, and wha- wha- and sometimes what seems to occur is that the trust is established between the, those people or the two people, but there's old patterns again which prevent one from stating clearly the the weakness of another, the faults of another, or what another person needs to look at in some way or other. And so as a, res- as a result of it, there is, no th- there is a concern that any direct communication, saying what one observes, will somehow shake the foundation. A good friendship stands easily, can stand that kind of test. And as one sees, and as we see so many times in giving feedback and in, and in saying something, it's not only what one says. It doesn't matter how clear and precise and how much insight that one may have into another person and what's happening for him or for her, but also how it's said. And it's the how it's said, the way that it gets is generated over which is really the all important test of one's friendship of one's wisdom. Because so often when something isn't said in a in a background with a background of affection and care. The very thing which one desires to produce in the other, produces its opposite. Such is the paradox of this life. Uh, y- y- when one sees something another another person. One feels it's not helpful. It's it, it's causing pain. It's um, it's it's harmful for the relationship. For the communication. And one comes across, as we so easily and understandably do, in a kind of um, forceful, say, or aggressive manner, or in a negative tone. And the very thing which one wishes to change inside of the other, it actually reinforces it. A A person may be angry and negative and judgmental, and one wishes that to uh, be changed but one comes across with the same mind angry negative and judgmental and as a result it reinforces that kind of mind or sometimes we we get um we we come across in a in a way which um threatens um with, withdrawal from a situation we create pressure on another person to be different in some way and that person feels that pressure, the pressure to change, and the person withdraws even more. And in that withdrawal, of course, there's less chance for change. So in other words, in our relationship, in our connection and communications with, with people, coming and communicating in a way which is clear, at what one sees, and affectionate at the heart level, is the combination of the two is the one which is most likely to be validating, most likely to, to be transforming, most likely to assist in the depth of communication. in a situation like we like we have here in which during these days that we have been spending here together sometimes I describe myself as a press button teacher press button teacher is not only pressing this tape recorders button which is near but pressing the buttons of meditators not necessarily uh, um, intentionally it's amazing what one can do without the intention <laughs> <laughs> and so sometimes it, that can show itself in uh, in many, ma- many ways we experience this where we ignore somebody or where we tread on their toes sometimes literally when walking into the meditation hall or <laughs> where, one cr- where one creates a noise where, where one says things or does things which don't fit in with how one ought to be All of these kind of things press buttons. And so within it at times, within our situation, there can be very strong reaction. The reaction may be a very understandable one. The individual, the teacher, the the, the other person or or whatever acts in a way which is um, unsatisfactory. It doesn't show mindfulness. It's not very clear. There's not much heart in it or whatever, but still also there's our reaction and the reaction which which arises in, inside of ourselves sometimes, as is so often, very important as people do to state what one's feeling, to say this is what I'm experiencing, this has come out of this c- contact, so that there is within ourselves a willingness to communicate what's happening on this side. Because so often, particularly when there is um, um, image at, at work, so very easily there could be reaction, fear reaction, nervousness reaction, in seeing another or see particularly in seeing the authority figure, and once again that inhibits one's own communication and practice and understanding and clarity in a very real way and as an aspect of friendship is to reduce the differences, to be able to say what we are, to be able to say what we experience, to say what we feel and to address it where it needs to be addressed to. And this creates, I feel, a climate, a climate towards honesty. And in this world and it's in a way this is a little i mean it's very common everywhere of course and here um, in 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 the states it's uh there's a certain cultural background rather more noticeable here I would say of um, towards creating heroes and heroines and i 'm not sure whether this is a um, Something of a legacy from the Wild West, or what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's certainly a phenomenon here. And so one sees that the need to create, and, and we see all this, the fresh hype now about Michael Jackson, you know, and, and, and suddenly he's <laughs> elevated the poor fellow <laughs> <you> know, <to laughs> completely projected right out of reality. And all and all all that all that it means, and the same is now being, now taking place with the uh, through through these elections which are taking place. The the, the the attempt takes place to to lift somebody off the earth, you know, to create out of them a kind of god or, 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 or mythology in some way or other, and that's not good for the people that do that, but neither. Is it good for those who are on the receiving end of that? Because it creates a dishonest climate. And, and we need to see ways and means in our, in our own life where we find ourselves being caught up into projecting upon and creating that an aura around anybody. It's unreasonable and it's it's unrealistic. In in Barrie, some time ago, uh, at the center there, I took in to the meditation hall, just before going to give the evening talk, a roll of toilet paper and I put it down beside me, (laughs) which immediately created some curiosity, uh, (laughs) wondering what I was going to do during the middle of the talk. (laughs) And and s- just speaking about, I can't remember what the subject of the talk was. But I said this is some years ago, and things have got better. The, but uh, what I said was, please re- remember, every day the gurus use this. You know that that this is that this roll of toilet paper is as much a part of their life as it is of ours. You know, and uh, sometimes one needs to, you know, to s- as it were see <laughs> a little bit more clearly, you look. <laughs> and and that, and in, in that there can be a greater sense of <laughs> balance. Otherwise it just, it becomes unrealistic, as I say, these, these relationships. Rea- I remember years ago for my, for my, for myself, um, in the mid-sixties I was, um, uh newspaper reporter, working in uh, London. And at this time, um, time of the the Beatles and um, Stones and Bob Dylan. So I was invited to with a a small number of other reporters to uh, interview Bob Dylan, for whom I had an enormous respect and affection for. And we arranged to meet with him in our a hotel room in, in the cent- centre of London. And the interview proved, proved to be just uh, a shame, very in- interested. He uh, didn't want to answer any questions. He obviously wasn't in a very good uh, mood. And this kind of um, uh, image of this person who uh, I felt so much high regard for was, I mean, as it were, disintegrating before my eyes, <laughs> and all I cou- all I could see was a, you know, a a, a sport, moody, irritable, twenty-five or six-year-old. That's all I could see. So, in the, in the, uh, I wrote um, a story for the uh, evening newspaper that I was working for, and. I always remember, because they made it down the front page on the, on the left-hand side. <laughs> and I simply reported the sequence of events of this interview with him. I just stated as precisely as I could, and then the letters came rolling in. <laughs> Why send a reporter who obviously doesn't know Bob Dylan, doesn't appreciate him, or doesn't understand him, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And again, sometimes... As I say, one can create the the, the the myth around, and forget that what one feels, one knows about someone may only be part of the picture. And so there can be, say, with in this case, uh, uh, Dylan, tremendous creativity and a tremendous force for for young people and an inspiration to to question and to look and to and to. Think differently, and certainly he had the impact. But somehow or other, what happens is that one denies all the rest as well, and especially all the corrupting factors that name and fame and and uh, power and prosperity tend to bring. So in our in our in our Connecting with life, it's truly a kind of way, trying to find ways and means in life which we connect each other from a genuine standpoint of equality. And that means that in our finding of a balance with people, we are aware of their strengths, their virtues, those factors inside a person which we appreciate, and we're aware of the failings of the areas which need to be worked upon. And any human being of any ilk, past or present, tends in some way or other to embody both. The degrees, of course, may vary, but human beings are strengths and weaknesses, virtues and and failings and, and a dynamic of both. That is a human being. That is life on this earth, that is the nature of us as as people. And so what do we often find? What we expect of other people, we can't even fulfill in ourselves. And yet we project our demand and expect other people to be be what we can't be. The former president of India was at his home one day. This is years ago. He was, a, he was a, a writer and philosopher. And a missionary came to the door. And the missionary, was very strong and had that kind of zeal, which is characteristic of him, and speaking about Jesus, and what Jesus can do for you, and of course there's a uh, man an uh, aging Indian uh, gentleman as a philosopher, uh, a Hindu, and a long-standing support of the Hindu religious life behind. And th- the missionary came off across a lot of pressure, and a, and a lot of persuasiveness, and and judgmental and dismissive of other practices and other traditions. That, that mind which so easily in any religion becomes narrow-minded. And, and within that name of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus kept being repeated. And this philosopher, Radha Krishna, said to the missionary, what can Jesus do for me w- which he surely hasn't done for you? <laughs> <laughs> Talk about cutting to the bone. <laughs> <laughs> and so, again, within certain situations, there they can be the right, there can be the message of love, there can be the, c- the, the effort to communicate that. But when there's another kind of background that goes with it, the persuasiveness and the telling of others and feeling that others ought to know, and all that, that goes along with it, somehow or other, what is being spoken about in its heart, in its essence, is forgotten and all that is left is this persuasiveness. Hence, his response. And it's sometimes it's very hard for us to be able to, in communicating and sharing, when, when a person, and that may be a friend, comes to a very sh- fixed view about something, and has that kind of, um, in a way, unwavering conformity to a fixed view, to be able to communicate in a way which helps the person, if at all possible, to look at it differently. And so sometimes friendships really become jeopardized because one person's view has become so strong, so, so fixed, as, as an unalterable fixation. And so sometimes one finds oneself asking the question, can our relationship stand and hold together in the face of such strong views, about anything. I have two friends and they do meditation practice and they do it in a somewhat different style, somewhat different method, somewhat different technique. And they tell me, they can talk about, they're in a relationship, these two people, and they can talk about anything, it's all right as long as it's not meditation. (laughs) (laughs) Because once the conversation starts on that, it seems to somehow press so many buttons in, in both of them, that they end up just arguing. I hope it's not going to happen to you a lot when you leave. (laughs) (laughs) So within communication, and and working with differences, it requires a real exploration, and uh, and I would say that the exploration has its implications not only for us, the person who is trying to be more aware and conscious, but also the larger implications what we generate socially, what we, what we generate out in the world, what we generate in terms of our views and opinions about a wide variety of things. And quite often one finds, if it seems that everybody has the same view about something, then that whatever that view is, it's really worth having a doubt in. When everybody's agreeing about something in one particular way, it's always, hopefully, it's provocative enough inside of oneself to say, I'm not so sure. One of the other areas, I mean, in many areas of this, and we just try to see for, for ourselves in this communication of friendship, is communication and friendship in being a good friend, as I mentioned earlier, in pointing out and I remember coming here um first time to um California was in 77 and this and at that time I was making my uh, journey home from uh from from Asia uh some friends had invited me here I spent a couple of months here wanted to be exposed to what was happening in uh, in the area particularly in religious practices in uh Therapy and the movements that were taking place before going back to England. And uh, while here, I had a birthday, and two people, obviously unbeknown to each other, um, gave me the same book to read. And the book was called, some of you may know, called The Structure of Magic. And it's a book by two um, uh, West Coast uh, therapists, and it deals with communication. And what I found very, very helpful, and what it helped me personally to uh, um, see to some extent, is that, that within communication, when somebody says something to us, it's often just the tip of the iceberg. And in fact, far more is being said in potential, but it never actually comes through. And it's this listening, in this case, this outer listening to another and the capacity to respond when one senses, through total listening, that somebody is saying something more than what one is actually hearing. And the book, basically, The Structure of Magic, they have a number of uh, books, the title always seems rather peculiar. but Anyway, I won't go into that. Uh, (laughs) But the book shows a number of uh, conversations which help one um, to develop that attunement to be able to hear what one needs to hear and to respond and to ask a little bit more, to make things more forthcoming. And people often refer to somewhat similar situations in daily life. One is in a working situation and it's, and it's so often sadly is within the work situation the contact is very very superficial you know it's just a hello good morning how are you and straight by and any kind of discussion which takes place tends to be just at the level of what needs to be done um, and the kind of business mind at work in some way or other and it never gets below that, beneath that and it's yet, people have, as we all do, have our stuff, have things <laughs> need to work with, and somehow to get through and past that protective barrier which says, in this social situation, we keep to this. And we don't take it any further. And so within particular situations, we find ourselves in that structure. And it's this where I se- feel that Listening and being a good friend really comes in, and one of the things which one notices in that, and th- in one of the old texts, or some Sanskrit texts, or some good advice in that, is that within the field of communication, the trust once again with someone who's virtually a stranger, one hardly knows personally, is to establish a trust. A trust sometimes taking the form of recognition of, putting the energy out to, appreciation, and the comment of it in establishing that trust so that if one wishes to say something to another which one sees and f- one feels will be helpful to that person, one's got the basis to generate it over. And, s- and sometimes the way that that can take place, what I found find is quite useful, is through the form of asking a person questions. And many situations in life with people are such, given the degree of separation, for many people it's very, very hard to open up to say what's going on in their life. Many a personal relationship, many a long-standing marriage. is full of stuff, but it never actually gets talked about. (coughs) And so two people can live together, sleep together, but never really connect, because the listening isn't there. And, he, and that requires a real, uh, a real work in that area, of being able to, to really listen to each other. And what one sees and feels and senses sometimes, that because people have such, some people have such few close friendships, that the opportunity for real sharing and 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 the exploration of that is an opportunity which doesn't come for many people very freely here in this here with us in our lives we may well have plenty of access and opportunity to that but some really don't and and in a way it's you know applying those same kind of principles, which Freud, in some of his extraordinary insights, re- really realised, that basically the opening up and the sharing and the communicating itself, bringing something from the dark, as it were, inside and allowing it to come through to communicate, that that is the therapy, and that the. The the function of the analyst, the therapist, is basically being able to be aware and conscious and sensitive enough in a non-judgmental way. So that gives the person the the sense that they can communicate, they can talk about what's happening, and it's in in an atmosphere of acknowledgement and appreciation and in confidence. And there surely must be people in our own life, in different working situations, especially, and people that we just have contact with, where one knows within that that a friendship could be established, a communication can be there, if we listen, if we respond, if we ask, if we connect, if we establish a, a groundwork and basis of trust. And surely in a world which is so fragmented, where human beings are so alienated from each other, in spite of living so close together, surely it's a great task at hand. As I m- mentioned to somebody to today, in a way the that that uh I say, inspiration of Freud there with regard to that awareness of another and and listening totally to what he or she has to say in a way, though analysts can never comprehend this, in a way meditation practice is something of the same in a way, and particularly this kind of meditation practice, we're being an, an analyst or a therapist and a client to ourselves to be aware of what's going on. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> in, in a non-judgmental way, you know. <laughs> and the only difference between what Freud's talking about and what wi- we're talking about is he said the couch and we say the Zephyr. <laughs> but, <laughs> but basically the same receptivity inwardly and outwardly in this communicating with others and 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 the meeting with with others, of course all this non-judgmental is one of the areas which we always have to be aware of because of the kind of conditioning and the various stereotyping that takes place is particularly in the field of relationship, in male-female relationship, and how very easily the actions of one, when they're hostile or violent or aggressive, in some way or other, gets into this spilling over. And we have to be so wary of not generalizing, because the generalization makes the image and the image inhibits real communication. And so just as in our practice here, working and developing a practice in a way of starting afresh, looking afresh, looking afresh at what's happening right now and in the same spirit of that in our relationships with each other the The endeavor and the and the wish to see another person as she or he is right now rather than with the past, in other words, giving the person the opportunity for change and the image and the stereotyping inhibits that opportunity. In our connection with each other, friendship is as the Buddha said when he was asked the question, why do we do this practice? How important, he was asked, is friendship in this practice? Do we do this practice in order that half the life, half of it is to contribute to friendship, to real deep friendship. Is half the reason for doing the practice for deep friendship? And the Buddha said, no, don't say that. All of this practice is for deep friendship. May all beings live with love. May all beings live with affection. May all beings live with an abiding friendship. Let's have two or three minute, three minute quiet period together.